Coming Undone is the podcast for those who dare bravely, risk mightily, and grow relentlessly. Join me, Toby Brooks, as I invite a new guest each week to examine how high achievers can transform from falling apart to falling into place. You know, any high-functioning team usually has a number of people playing their role to the best of their ability. Whether it's a Broadway cast, a team of entrepreneurs for a new startup, or a sports team, most groups of people have a few stars, some up-and-comers, and a number of role players. When everyone understands their unique contribution to the shared success, then the unit can fire on all cylinders. Eagle River, Alaska native Branda Anderson never had aspirations of playing in the WNBA or even dominating the paint in college when she first started playing basketball in middle school. However, her growing skills and tireless work ethic eventually led to a storied high school career, capturing four total team state championships, one in basketball and three more in track, an individual state championship in shot put, and both all-state and all-state tournament team honors in basketball. Such accomplishments opened opportunities for her to continue pursuing aspirations in college, and she eventually found herself on full scholarship at Division I Southern Illinois University in Carbondale shortly after. But things would not be so easy. A full five-day journey from home and finding herself buried deep on the bench, she had a decision to make. Quit altogether, go somewhere else, or be the best she could be at the role she'd been given. While it proved challenging, she stayed the course and finished her career as a respected and valued member of the team. In the years that followed, she's balanced ministry service, teaching, coaching, and grad school. And after nearly 20 years in the high school classroom, she recently made the decision to switch to a new role as teaching and learning specialist at the Holocaust Center for Humanity in Seattle, Washington, while she also works toward a PhD in Holocaust and Genocide Studies. Hear her tell her story of resilience, hard work, and being a servant leader before it was trendy and cool in episode 15, Switch. I mentioned in my last episode that one of the things I love most about being a podcaster at this point is it's a great excuse to reach out to old friends that I haven't talked to in a long time. So I'm super blessed, fortunate to have my good friend, Branda Anderson with me tonight. Hi, Toby. It's great to have you. So Brandon and I go way back. Uh, she was on the basketball team at Southern Illinois University Carbondale when I was an athletic training student and we hit it off and Spent a lot of time in Bible studies and FCA and watching hoops and listening to hip hop and all the things that uh, college students who don't have jobs and responsibilities have time to do. So, absolutely. <laughs> so, Brenda has an impressive athletic background and she's gone on to do great things since college. Uh, I'll, I'll run through a few here. Three sport varsity athlete in high school, volleyball, basketball, track, state champ and shot put as a senior, part of three state champion track teams. She believes she still holds the shot put record at her high school. Uh, senior year basketball team, 25 and one state champions, all state first team. I could go on and on, but as a native of Alaska, we used to have the running joke like, Okay, so you are all state in Alaska, but this is a big deal. These weren't schools of 15 students who could barely get up and down the floor. You competed at a high level and you were highly successful. So I'll start our interview tonight as I always do. Start at the beginning for you, wherever that was. 
All right. Um, for me, uh, athletics started as a young child. I have the earliest pictures of me are at my brother's hockey games. It's a very Alaska thing to say, but you know, chasing him as he was playing hockey. And I always dreamed of playing hockey, but in the 1980s, girls hockey wasn't a thing. So it was never a road. And I do watch Olympic women's hockey and kind of sigh and think, oh, what could have been? But um, my brothers, uh, when my family blended together, all my brothers played baseball in Little League and Eagle River, Alaska in the 1980s. That's what everyone did. There was really not a ton of other options. There was hockey and baseball. And so I played Little League softball, uh, chasing after my brothers and loved it. I didn't actually even start basketball until middle school. Uh, in middle school, I, you know, it was the thing. I tried out for basketball, made the you know seventh grade team, as it were, and uh, was clumsy and awkward. And here's some imagery for you, Toby. Those were the rec specs days. Do you remember the rec spec goggles? I do. I, do. Uh, I had a pair as well. Yeah. So being, um, you know, a head taller than every boy in my grade, and two heads taller than every girl, and then wearing rec specs made for an even more awkward middle school experience for me. But I really liked basketball. I wasn't incredibly good, uh, but when I went into eighth grade, our, our eighth grade basketball coach um, said, hey, do you want to come do some workouts? I can, I can you know, help you. And so uh, Coach Thorman would come to my house and pick me up in the morning and take me to the gym, and we would shoot around. He'd teach me post moves because I was already you know, 5'10 as an eighth grader, which is ridiculous. And so that was kind of the beginning for me. And when I went into high school – I kind of had these athletic goals. Like I, I, I knew I wanted to make the basketball team, but in my mind, if I made the freshman team, then great. That was like my goal because my high school team that I was going into when I was in eighth grade, they got second in state and we were one of the big school classifications in Alaska. And so I knew I was coming into a program that was really good. And so I didn't see myself as being able to come close to any of that. And so I had this goal, like maybe I'll make JV volleyball, and I'll make freshman basketball. And that's a great freshman year. And that's what I was shooting for, taking my honors classes. Well, basketball season uh, at that time came before volleyball. Volleyball was an oddly winter sport for us. And so tryouts happened for basketball to make the JV team. And I'm ecstatic. I can't believe it. I'm like, this is great. Um, the only freshman on the varsity team was a point guard. And she would subsequently become one of my best friends. Um, but she was up there and I was I was happy. I was one of like two freshmen on the JV team. That was a great accomplishment. And so I was pretty happy with that and enjoying the first week of practice on the team. And in, in the middle of our study table, we had study table before practice. Varsity coach comes, grabs me out of the study table, says, we need you up at practice. The varsity. And I was great. Whatever you need. And I run up there and get beat up by a bunch of seniors for an hour and a half um, and then run lines with them and then get to go to JV practice. And, at the end of the varsity practice, the coach looked at me and said, you're on varsity now. You're going to play some JV, play some varsity. So you get four hours of basketball practice. Um, are you good with that? And of course, I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? And, it, you know, I look back on that and I think that actually was probably really good for me in terms of my physical conditioning, my skill work. I don't could not do it now. But, you know, as a 15 year old, sure, whatever you want. And so my, I got to play on varsity my freshman year. I did not play very much. I was definitely the bench cheerleader. I, I found that I could, you know, encourage my teammates. I was engaged in the game and learning, and it was a great experience for me and shocking because I didn't think I would make varsity. So going into my sophomore year, I put a lot of work in. My team w- attended these individual camps put on by Northwest Basketball Camp, which probably doesn't mean a lot in Texas. 
but in Washington, it's a staple of basketball training here. Um, it's actually a Christian based basketball camp system and it, they ran camps in Washington, Idaho and Alaska. And the camp that they ran in Alaska was actually housed at my high school. So we spent a couple of weeks there training and I, I had a good week and I felt really good going into my sophomore year and had improved a ton. And by then I became a starter and that's kind of where my career just jumped. And I will be honest, I was listening to your other podcast about the incredible gymnast from Arizona. And I thought I, I never had a goal to compete in basketball in college or even in, you know, the 19 early nineties, there's no WNBA. So that's not even a construct. Uh, my goal was to win a state championship. That was always my focus. And I never really thought about college. So sophomore year goes well. I'm all state honorable mention. My team does really well. We get third in state. We're real happy. And I'm back at that basketball camp that summer between my sophomore and junior year. And I'm having a great camp. I'm goal there. I'm going to make the all-star team. You know, here we go. I was a bit of a pain in the, in the neck. You know that about my personality. There are some less colorful pieces of, especially when I was in high school, of my personality. And I was having a great physical week. But my attitude was terrible. I'd gotten arrogant. You know, I'd gotten cocky. And I remember we were coming back from a gym and we'd been on a bus. We were coming back to the main facility. And the owner of the camp, the guy that started the camp, the president, Fred Kroll, who just passed away last year, which was a big loss for, our, for the basketball community in Washington State, stopped me as I was getting out of the bus. He said, have a seat. And I thought it was a yell at me. I thought it was just going to be like, listen, you need to figure it out. This is unbelievable. Well, he sits me down and he looks at me and he goes, you are a very good basketball player. You could play Division One basketball. I never even considered it. Alaska doesn't have any division one sports beyond hockey. So I never really, I knew I wanted to go to college, right? I didn't think I was going to play in college. And he said, but you need to get your life right. You need to do some reconsidering. You need to think about where you're at and encourage me to consider my faith. And, and, and that's where my faith started. But that he was the first person to look me dead in the eye and just say, you could play college basketball. And I just remember thinking, seriously, Okay. Here's a theme we keep seeing in these early episodes of the power of just one person to alter the entire trajectory of a life. And in this case, it was legendary basketball camp founder Fred Kroll. He plants a seed in Brandon's spirit that both encouraged and convicted at the same time. As mentors, we owe it to those we serve to have that encourager side. By saying, I think you can, dot, 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 Fred helped Brandon see a future she hadn't even yet considered. But in the next breath, by saying, but you have to get your life right, he challenged her to rise up to a potential that he saw in her present. It was a powerful moment that changed Brandon's life forever. But again, it, it never was a primary goal. It was always, I want to win a state championship. Um, and as I grew as a person, that goal got stronger. And then senior year, we had an incredible team. I did at Southern get a lot of people say, oh, we're just play basketball in the last gallon in snow. And I'm like, no, in a gym. Did you play in a cornfield? What are, what are we doing here? What is this? But my high school team, I like to brag about my team. We had three Division One signings. I was not the best person on my team. We had a Gatorade All-American. She played at K-State, had an incredible career. My point guard slash best friend played at Austin P. Our other post player played Division Two at University of Alaska Anchorage. We were, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, I didn't realize that it, that was weird until I got to college. Right. So then I end up at SIU. So yeah. I think your reflection is spot on because we don't realize what's normal and abnormal when we're immersed in the middle of it. And so being surrounded with, by that kind of talent, it was just what you did. 
reflect back. So Branda in high school, what was her aesthetic? What'd she listen to? What, what, what was Branda like? Oh my gosh. I hope nobody's listening. Um, that was, that remembers that time. Um, I, you know, you joked about us listening to hip hop. I was very much the early nineties hip hop. You know, I grew up in an age where you didn't wear sweats to school. So it's not like I wore sweats. Like a lot of basketball players aesthetic now is wearing sweats, but I was kind of always either doing schoolwork or playing basketball or trying to find a way to play basketball. Um, and so I was pretty casual, really. I, I joke about this because it feels like my athletic and my academics kind of overlap in this. I wasn't the smartest kid in my class. My point guard I told you about was our valedictorian. She's now a federal judge. Like I ran in a group of people where I was kind of the low end and, and I felt that way about basketball too. So um, I listened to hip hop spent a lot of time with my friends about, you know, after my sophomore year, started attending church regularly and, and in that way. But that was me. I mean, Alaska in the winter's dark and cold. So you're in a gym or you're inside. Yeah. What did you want out of life back then as, as a high school freshman and sophomore? You said you, you weren't really shooting for a college scholarship, but what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I like to argue. And so I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I, you know, in college, figured out lawyers do homework for a living. So I became a teacher and started assigning it. Well played, friend. Well played. I knew that the legal profession was where I wanted to be, at least at that, at that time. And I still really like the field of law and I'm very interested in it. I wanted to get out of Alaska. I loved Alaska and I still this day love Alaska, but I, I wanted a, a real hard restart, which was very common. All of my friends went to college out of state. And once you're out of state in Alaska, you're far from everybody. So they're, you know, it didn't, it was another thing that didn't occur to me to be strange until I got to SIU and met people that, like yourself, were going to college really close to where they grew up. Hold up. Let's clear this up right now. I did go away to college. I had just chickened out and ran back home by the time Brandon and I met, which is a story we'll unpack someday. Not this day, but someday. Anyhow. Because we didn't have that many options in Alaska, so all my college-bound friends, we we kind of left. We were a three-day drive from home once you got to Seattle, so why not? And so I knew I wanted to go to college. I thought I wanted to pursue law or psychology, which I ended up uh, pursuing. And I wanted to win a state championship in basketball real bad. That was like mm-hmm. every conversation my group of my basketball friends had. That was, I mean, it was, a, it was always there. It was always front of mind. Yeah. So you have this conversation with a, a trusted mentor, someone that you respect, and they plant this seed that you could not only continue to play basketball, you could play it at the highest level. And so maybe as a junior, as a senior, yes, you're pursuing the goal of a state championship, but you also have some personal goals and ambitions that are starting to materialize. When you're standing on the edge of that possibility, what did success look like for you? Like, I didn't know. Honestly, I knew I wanted to do it at college. I had the academic prowess. I, that was never going to be an issue. Going into the summer before uh, – my senior year, I got an opportunity, me and my point guard got an opportunity to go on an AAU team in, from Alaska, the only one we had. So we automatically got into the national tournament, um, my first trip to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and I got the opportunity to play on a national scale, which was the, was not the first time we played national level talent. We as a team had traveled a bunch, our high school team, and played in tournaments in California and played nationally ranked high school teams that came to Alaska. So I had seen some of the other talent. I mean, I knew who I was playing with, but that summer going to both AAU nationals and playing against girls who are 
now, you know, a WNBA stars. Um, and then getting, when we went to a couple of recruiting camps, blue star camps were camps where you just went and played basketball for a week in front of coaches. And once I was able to see myself playing, actually playing, not just see, but playing with higher caliber players. And I thought, well, I, I, I could do this. I could play in college, but initially, even then it wasn't necessarily division one, just the idea that maybe I can get school paid for and play in college. This was the goal. I never until the letter saying, Hey, let's meet and Hey, come visit started coming in. And did I go, Oh, so this is real. Like you, you've seen me play and you really want me on your team. And this could be a real thing. And it was, man, it was a scary time. That's a scary proposition for a 17 year old. Right. So you end up at SIU and the, the team was moderately successful. It, it wasn't, you know, you weren't winning conference championships, but you weren't bottom of the barrel either. But for you, I, I distinctly recall you were, you were doing everything you could do to contribute. Just like you had mentioned as, as a freshman, that, that same brand uh, as a freshman in high school is that same brand as a freshman in college. You're going to do anything you can to help your team be successful. But over time, it became fairly clear that the minutes maybe weren't what you expected. And the opportunity to set school scoring records or rebound records. I mean, that, that wasn't probably in the cards. How did that season feel when you had gone all that way? You, you picked up roots and went all the way from Eagle River, Alaska to Carbondale, Illinois. And now you're on the team, but not necessarily getting the playing time that you so craved. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a mixed bag there. Um, it's not only not getting the playing time because at, by that time, I mean, my high school experience and honestly never having been the superstar that was, I've never been that athletically. I was always a contributor. Like I said, senior year, I had a great season and had the best game of my life in the state championship, kind of the dream, right? The Hoosiers moment, but I still was second best on my team. And I knew that. And it wasn't a bitterness. She was better than me. She's an amazing athlete. So in college, I didn't have dreams of being the best, you know, being the All-American. What I wanted, I had dreams of the NCAA tournament. And that's where my frustrations always built was like, I, I don't mind not contributing, especially freshman year, you know, and sophomore year, I got a little bit more. Junior year, I definitely played a lot more than I did any other year. That was, I was actually really comfortable in that space as a role player. And then as someone on the bench is, you know, the, my assistant coaches will joke that I was like kind of an assistant. I cared about the game. I loved the game. I could see things I could work with via Hudson, our center and say, okay, do you, are you seeing this? This is what I'm seeing out here. Watch, watch for this. I could work with Beth, our point guard and say, look, look, this is happening. I like that because I was contributing, but my frustration was more, especially junior year is not seeing us be as successful as we could have been. Cause we were really talented. We had a great talented group almost every year. And then I'll never forget. And I say this um, with all respect to coach Scott, Cindy Scott, who's a legend, a basketball legend. And I, I feel very lucky to have to have played for her and we have a great relationship even now, she looked at me at the end of my junior year and said, you're not going to play any minutes your senior year. She looked me dead in the eye. And, and um, I remember as when I was coaching for a while, I thought, that's just not what you say to people. <laughs> Maybe that's not, that's not inspirational language. But she had said, I need you to be a contributor. I need you there every day at practice. I need you dialed in on the bench. And she, I look back now, she took a risk that I wouldn't fold, mm -hmm. that I wouldn't be like, you've signed the tuition checks. I'm just here to, you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined. My early beast mode days, if you will. Right, um, right. But she took a big risk on me as a human to say she knew me 
to say you're not going to fold. It's not within you to do that. And I could have easily, and I thought about it. There were many hard days where I was like, I'm just getting the tar beat out of me. I need, you know, senior year, I needed shoulder surgery. That was sitting there and I just, it was hard. And and to train before the senior year. But for me, having been a role player, like if this is what I have to give, this is what I give. Such a raw and refreshing glimpse of true selflessness and humility here from Brenda. Her coach, the one who has recruited her to come almost 4,000 miles from home to play basketball in a rural Midwestern town, looks her square in the eyes after her best, most productive collegiate season yet and says, you're not going to play next season. Although tempted at times to opt to simply cash that scholarship check, go through the motions, Brenda's better than that. After some serious soul-searching, a consideration of other options, and some other really hard moments, she finally opts to set down her ambitions for the sake of the team. But she also picked up some other pursuits as well. And that's that was how I got through it. And I had some incredible friends and social groups outside of the team that buoyed me quite a bit. That That should be said for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to recognize when we find ourselves in those places. You you did find outlets. Your junior year, you competed on the track team and, and through shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, most people don't just wake up one day and go to their Division One track coach and say, hey, can I be on your team? I was a state champion. What was that experience like relative to your basketball career? So that was interesting because kind of after the conversation with Coach Scott, where she said, listen, I, this is what's going to happen. I said, well, then can I, can I throw a track in the spring? I was kind of in the shadow of someone like Bridget Bonds Williams, who had been that. Um, I had, she's clearly better athlete on many levels, but that was the precedent was there. And she was like, that's fine. And I did, I remember sitting in Don Danoon's office, uh, you know, incredible legend. And just said, listen, this is who I am. This is how far I threw. I'm not going to cost you any money. I said, I just need another, I need to do something else. I've been a multi-sport athlete my whole life. I need the mental and physical break. And he just went, Okay. And I actually had no problem. He was very excited about it. And so he let me throw a couple, I did a couple indoor meets, which was super awkward as never having done that. And then, you know, got to compete with the team and a funny story that you can edit out if you like. Not a chance. This one's good. My first outdoor track meet was at FSU over spring break. We basketball season ended. We lost in the conference tournament. I got back, washed my clothes, got in the van and went to Panama city with the track team. And my first meet, my first ever meet is at Florida State University, beautiful facility, right? This is amazing. And I throw a shot and it goes decently. I I got points. So that's the only points I scored on the college track team. But, you know, hey, I'll take what we get. Well, then I'm going to throw a disc and we're throwing and I'm not, I wasn't very good at this. I was okay. I mean, in Alaska, I was fine. Anywhere else in the world, I'm not. But there was a stop in the meet, like nobody else was competing and the whole track team came to watch. They're like, oh, the basketball player's throwing. Let's go watch her. And I get up in the ring and I release the throw and it hits so hard off the stanchion that the noise could be heard probably down to Miami. (laughs) And there's my whole team like, wow, so glad you're with us. But they, I mean, they were phenomenal. My time on the track team was so great, but it was a nice mental break for me. And I I honestly kind of credit that with re kind of giving me a hard reset into my senior year of basketball. This is what you came to do. You committed to this. You've committed to being this person, to being part of the team. Now do it. Didn't mean I didn't complain. You probably heard a lot of that. No, that's not getting edited out, by the way. That's a fantastic story. 
What did you tell yourself to keep going? Like, I seriously doubt you packed your bags to go to Carbondale to just sit on the bench. You weren't doing what you felt like you could do maximally to help the team. How do you get yourself motivated to go to practice on days like that? It was difficult. Um, I'd love to say, oh, no, you just do it. No, it, it, it took mental leaps. It took my faith. I mean, it really did take my faith. And people like Roger Leip encouraging me, uh, the leader of FCA at the time. And it took me letting go of basketball. I think that's the year I really was like, I'm done. Because junior year, I remember having distinct thoughts about, I could try out for the Canadian national team. My mom's from Canada. And there was options of like, at that point, I understood that I could probably pursue it in Europe. You know, I was good enough to get on a club team and wherever if I wanted. And so those things resonated. But by the time I went into my senior year, I was like, this is my last year of basketball. I'm going to go out well. I'm going to leave a legacy of who I am as a human, not who I am as a basketball player. And I think that shift in mindset that, I mean, it really happened to that summer and track helped that, that like who you are as a human is exponentially more important than who you are as a basketball player. And, and it was a good, it was a good transition. I know some athletes really struggle when their careers end, but mine came to a very slow end. I knew it was coming. And that was actually, I think, easier because I knew it was coming and I could start thinking about the next steps. Yeah. How much would you say your identity was tied up in basketball? We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. I would say my junior year in college pretty heavily but never completely. And I think, you know, reflecting on it, I didn't, I, I was still, I, our identity shifts so much, right. As we grow and as we change who we are and in high school, my senior year, it was everything. It was who I was. I, you know, when I go home now, I still run into people that talk about basketball and talk, Oh, you, I know who you are. And um, the beauty of a small town by the end of my junior year and, and really competing in track helped a lot. I realized I'm more than that. It's part of me. And and having Coach Scott really say, you're not going to be a starter. You're not going to contribute that way. You're going to be this thing, this an encourager, a coach, a hard worker. You're going to get the tar beat out of you for nine months. That became, that was my identity, but I, it was such a small part. I, I was starting to see what the next steps were and who I was going to be after college. And I think moving from, Alaska to Southern Illinois really challenges your perception of who you are. I can, I will never forget being just terrified of biscuits and gravy because my, in my brain, it was brown gravy and biscuits. And I was like, what's wrong with you people? I thought there was like food and agriculture here. And then realizing it is one of the greatest things ever invented. It's horrible for you and will murder your arteries. But oh my gosh, is it amazing? If nothing else, Southern Illinois at least taught you about biscuits and gravy, Brenda. You're welcome. 
my identity, my understanding of who I was shifted a lot in college. And, and by the time my senior year started with basketball, I was ready. It was part of, it was what I was doing to pay for school more at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned your faith and how it was part of this transition. So you graduate from college, you find yourself pursuing, or at least interested in pursuing full-time ministry. Talk me through that transition. I mean, that was a fun transition, actually. It had started the, you know, the summer before I interned with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for a summer. Um, and that was phenomenal. And I knew, I, you know, a psych degree, as you well know, isn't going to get you much. It's going to, I knew I was either going to have to go back to grad school to pursue, and I still like psychology. It's part of feeds into what I, the work I do now, obviously fed into my role as an educator, but I just, I knew I wanted to be engaged with athletes. I knew I wanted to be engaged with purposeful ministry and schools. And when the opportunity arose to work for FCA in Illinois, I, it was a great opportunity. The transition, again, I had, by the end of my senior year um, of basketball, the season ended, we, we didn't have a great year. It was, I mean, I had fun, I had a blast, but then I had shoulder surgery, so I couldn't compete in track. And my my athletic identity was changing. I was, I kept saying I'm a former athlete and that would, that language kind of resonated, but I got to work with athletics. And so for me, the transition was relatively smooth. My partner at the time up there, Chris, uh, Chris Brown was a, uh, had been a um, U of I football player. And I spent a lot, he, and so he had, you know, he and I both transitioned out of our sport. And, and so having that person to partner with in the work kind of helped because we can kind of talk about like, okay, this is not who we are now, you know, we're something else. And so that transition was wonderful. I, I knew in the back of my mind, it wasn't going to be long-term, but I was willing to stay in Illinois. I was happy there though. I missed mountains and water a lot, but it was an, it was a relatively easy transition and one that I'm glad I did it. It really did help me move chapters in life. Yeah. That's a, a great way to look at it. What do you think was the hardest part of your journey from that middle schooler just hoping to make the team to serving in full-time ministry? Leaving home, leaving Alaska, though I always wanted to moving to Southern Illinois <laughs> which I still have to tell people where it is, um, especially out here. Moving to Southern Illinois and completely changing everything I knew, coming from a relatively small town with friends I'd had my whole life. I'm still best friends with my, you know, my my best friend from second grade. Her and her family just crashed in my house over the holidays. Like we have a very close knit experience being not just from a small town, but a small town in Alaska where many people don't have extended family. Your friends become your family. So leaving them to come and a hundred percent restart was the most difficult and the most important for me because it taught I could do it. You know, I come from a, a big family. I'm close to my brother and, and to just be, and you know, really the internet was starting when we were in college. So it's not like you had the phone with apps and you could see each other. That was, I think surviving that my freshman year, because I don't even know if you know this, that at the end of my freshman year, I considered transferring pretty heavily. I was actually looking at transferring to master's college in California as I'd worked. I was working that summer camps with the basketball coach from there. And he's like, you can go play for me. And I got to know his team and I was heavily thinking about it and I'm glad I didn't. And I think many people think about that. And, um, but that transition was probably the most difficult. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to pick up roots and 
move even a few hours, let alone, you said, three-day drive. <laughs> I mean, I Well, was it's a three-day drive to Seattle. Yeah. It's another two, two and a half to Southern Illinois. Yeah, so you're moving five days away. That's insane to me. That takes a lot of courage to do that. After a few years of ministry service in Southern Illinois, opportunities in teaching and coaching back in our beloved Pacific Northwest came calling, and Branda answered the call. I uh, ended up getting your master's degree at the University of Washington and are currently working on your PhD. So that that bookish Branda still lives in there. How did you yeah. end up going from ministry in Southern Illinois to a master's degree at UW? After about my second year in Champaign, um, I was actually, I moved down to Mount Vernon, Illinois to work for FCA there. And I had been actually coaching both basketball and softball in uh, at Champaign Centennial High School as a volunteer and was really enjoying it. And then also it coached, uh, it was an assistant coach at Mount Vernon High School um, to a player who would subsequently then end up playing at SIU. Um, but I really liked working with the kids. I really liked coaching. I really liked working with teachers. And I found myself, especially in Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon was a very lonely season because it's kind of in between everything and nothing. And not a town when you're in your early 20s and you don't know anybody where you're going to build a big social group. And it was actually a good, a good place for me to consider what was next. Social psychologist or organizational psychologist Adam Grant talks about how we should every year, twice a year, we should revisit what we're doing and if it's what we still want to be doing. I didn't know that then, um, but I did spend a lot of time going, is this what I want? Is this where I want to be? Is this what I'm supposed to be? And just did a lot of thinking about the schools and I knew that I loved history and I hated that people always said, well, oh, I hate history, which like, how can you not like history is so interesting. And so I kind of decided, you know what, I'm going to look at getting my master's degree in teaching and decided it was time to move back to the West, that that was a nice transition away from the season of my life in Illinois and, you know, applied to the UW and I kind of checked it out when I was here on Christmas on a Christmas trip and they accepted me and then I got my teaching cert and then yeah. uh, my first master's. That's awesome. Do you feel like that season in ministry was, was fairly short term on the front end or was it maybe something that once you got into it, you realized this isn't really what I feel led or called to do. I think it's a little bit of both. I never envisioned myself staying in Illinois, at least in Southern Illinois, long-term, I, I had thoughts of, well, I could be in Chicago. I'm just not a, an Illinois, you know, a farm-based person. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, I knew that, and you know, my, my niece was born in March of 98. So the year I graduated college, she was born. And um, I really was missing watching her grow up. And I, and I was feeling, real, you know, my brother and I are very close and I really wanted to be a part of her life. And so even from the beginning, I knew I was not long for the Midwest. It was a good transition. It was something I enjoyed, something that taught me so much, but I did not see myself staying there long term as much as I liked the work and, and the people I interacted with. Um, but I knew that I was meant to be on the West coast. Right. How would you say you're different as a result of what you've been through? Oh my gosh. That's a, such a huge question to ask somebody. Um, my experience in athletics taught me how to be a role player and a team player. And I know that's kind of, that feels so trite, but it really did. And, 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 you know, I, I think that, each level of athletics has its own struggles. You know, being the superstar, 
being just a run of the mill player in high school that whose career ends in high school, being a, you know, division one athlete whose career ends there, or maybe playing pro, you know, I had a number of friends who attempted to, you know, to further their career after college in multiple sports. And I never did. I never was down a road. I went down and, and each one of those comes with a sort of the identity shifting that you have to go through. I think I'm a, this sounds silly, but I think I'm a better human because I understand what it's like to want to succeed in a way that you cannot. Ooh, uh, I used, um, and I, and, and I did, I mean, I was, I, I have both sides of it. I, we won a state championship. That was always my goal. I'll never forget how that felt. And I had the best game of my life that game. Like that, that is the thing I look as like there done check. Got it. So I have that with a lot of people don't have. And then I have the experience in college where I wanted to be something I didn't get to be, but it taught me that maybe that's not what I'm supposed to be, that who you are can change and shift. And that's my, I mean, professionally going from classroom teacher from 19 for 19 years now working for the Holocaust center and going after my PhD, like I'm comfortable at just what I just turned 47 with a shift midlife and saying, that's who I was then. This is who I am now in this part of my identity. And I, I value that lesson from college. I think that sports really gave me that skill set to manage that. Oh, it'll be okay. Things change. You change. It'll be okay. Yeah. I think that's a great segue. What do your days look like today? You kind of alluded to your current role. Um, right now, I am the teaching and learning specialist at the Holocaust Center for Humanity here in Seattle. I spend my days it twofold. I work with teachers and districts creating um, professional development opportunities to help them enhance their teaching of the Holocaust in their classrooms, which I love. I love, for me, the ch- walking away from the classroom was about being able to multiply. I want to multiply what I was doing mm-hmm. for other teachers and, and be able to give them the skills, the abilities, the tactics to be able to give gr- high quality education to their students and to support teachers so that's one area. I also am the lead for our law enforcement and society program, which is a, a program where we train members of law enforcement about their role in democracy. And that's actually a passion project that I've been doing since 2017 with the center coming from a, a you know, a law enforcement family, uh, getting to work with and support law enforcement through my job is pretty awesome. Yeah. So my days are varied, but they're pretty awesome. Yeah. BA. Oh, you gave me goosebumps when you said it. you're a history teacher, but you're talking arithmetic, talking about multiplication. And I've been in the classroom for 20 years and there's nothing that can replace that for me. Like that connection you make with those certain students where they just get it. They get you, you ignite a fire in them for the thing you love. But there's also this yearning within me. That's like, it's 20 at a time. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a two-year program. I want to have a bigger influence than that. And and you you absolutely hit it spot on when you said it's about multiplying. And at, at this phase in your career, I applaud you for having the courage to step out and be brave and and do a new thing that feeds your soul. That's that that takes a lot of courage, but we've already established anybody that would move from Eagle River to Carbondale is already pretty gutsy. Yeah, two towns that very few people can find on a map, by the way. Rajan Langdon, I have to mention him. What's your connection to that guy? Oh, that guy. 
we were the same year in high school. I knew Trajan. I knew his sister. I played against his sister. He's got a younger sister. So Trajan was class of 94 at East High School. He's, it's, he's actually another reason why I'm not, I don't never saw myself as a big deal. When you, when you're the same age and playing parallel to Trajan Langan and winning a state championship, and then he wins the one right after you, like literally the next game is his to win. You kind of don't see yourself as that big of a deal. Uh, the Duke recruit. Um, I, I mean, I haven't seen him. We saw each other in college. We were both home working out. And I ran into him. That was in the nineties, but yeah, Trajan and I grew up essentially together in the same sort of ecosphere. Um, ironically, and I don't know if you know this, he, you know, he's the director of basketball operations for the Pelicans. I don't I don't know that. Well, he's director of operations for the same NBA team that Christy Kinney, our GA, her son plays for. Oh, wow. so there's, it's an interest. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was super interesting that, um, yeah, that, that little connection, but yeah, Trajan and we were the same year. He's way better. He was a multi-sport athlete in college as well. <laughs> yeah. More, more impressive though. Well, stop discrediting yeah. yourself. You were a big deal as well. What advice would you give young Miranda who's in pursuit of her childhood dreams? Relax, enjoy it. It goes fast. I would say try to relax and enjoy it. I mean, that's probably the thing that I'm still trying to perfect in my own life is taking deep breaths and relaxing and enjoying the process. I always loved practice. That's the weirdo I was. I loved working out on my own with a ball as a beauty of basketball, just need a ball and a hoop. And that was always uh, one of the weird things Beth Hossider, now Williams, and I used to do. We couldn't handle days off. And so every time there's a day off, you'd open the door into my room, my dorm room and say, let's go to the gym. And we'd be in the arena, just the two of us opposite ends of the court shooting for two hours. And every once in a while, I'd go rebound for the other because we were just gym rats. And I, I, I loved that. And I, I don't know that I enjoyed that. I, I didn't have the perspective to see that as, as, as beautiful a time as it really was. And so relax and enjoy it. It absolutely is. I, I love the game. I play every day. Uh, for me, your story was particularly interesting. I, I transferred to SIU from a Division three school, and I went there well-intentioned to keep playing my dreams, to, to keep pursuing my dreams. I spent two years in a community college, didn't play. I said, this is it. I'm not getting younger. This window's closing. I'm going to chase this down. So I go to a school. And I don't even try out for the team. There's no scholarships in D3. They don't recruit. I had talked to the coach ahead of time. He's like, yeah, go ahead and give it a shot. So I come back to Carbondale with my tail between my legs. I I had moved. I had transferred to this school with pretty much with the sole intention of playing basketball. And I was too chicken to even try. And we meet shortly thereafter. And being the competitor that you are, you weren't satisfied with your role on the team. You you performed it well, but that didn't mean you were complacent. You wanted to be more. You wanted to do more. You wanted to contribute more to your teammates. And meanwhile, you have me chirping in your ear. Like, I'm just, you still get to put on a jersey. Like You still have practice this afternoon. Here I am taping ankles. Uh, so I hope that that was encouraging to you, but you were always an inspiration to me because mm-hmm. I didn't have the courage to stay four hours away and pursue a team that didn't even want me. You picked up roots and moved five and a half days away (laughs) and stuck it out to the bitter end. So uh, not necessarily bitter end. That's a poor word choice. You stuck it out to the end and your teammates were better for it. So I want to applaud you for that. I, 
your reaction and the way you carried yourself and the attitude that you took into each day. I knew that you were hurting inside, at least a little bit, some days more than others. But that wasn't going to keep you from giving your all. And that made a mark on me. I, I appreciate that so much about you. Thank you, Toby. I appreciated having you. You and you, if I, you know, if I hadn't had the group of friends we had, you know, cheering me on and reminding me of what really mattered in life, it would have been much, much harder. I had teammates who didn't finish, you know, because they didn't have that. And uh, having that, you know, to cheesily quote scripture, a great cloud of witness um, was vital, vital to that experience. And so, yeah. It was a great group and hats off to Roger Light for cultivating. It it was fellowship of Christian athletes, but everybody was invited and I wasn't an athlete, but he never made me feel less than I have maybe felt a little less than, but it certainly wasn't Roger. So you mentioned you're working on your PhD. What for you remains undone? Oh, there's so many things. I always have so many ideas. I really want to improve Holocaust education in America. Um, we've been Holocaust education in America started essentially in the 1970s and has grown and is kind of everywhere. There are many states with mandates, and yet we see continual rises of anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial. And, and I think we can do better. And so for me, that's probably the route my research will go. It's already kind of started that way. So I, I want us, I want to empower teachers throughout the country with amazing pedagogy and incredible resources that allow them to help students understand how hatred and prejudice can destroy a democracy. And so that's, that's what I want to do. I think, you know, I'm still a kid, I think. So um, that is undone and being able to pursue that and not just, I'm, I'm getting to do it right now in Washington state. And I don't imagine leaving that, but really being able to impact Holocaust education on a national level, I think is probably what is undone as of yet. That's exciting. That's certainly a, an area that is, is ripe and, and it needs scholars. It needs teachers. The lack of resources certainly continues to be a huge issue. How can listeners connect with you if uh, if they want to uh, see your work or or be in touch or follow what you're doing? Um, the easiest way, obviously, nowadays is as email, and they can email me at Branda B R A N D A at Holocaust Center Seattle dot org, or just check out if you Google Holocaust Center Seattle, you'll find me there too as well. That's awesome. Well, Brandon, I can't thank you enough. Again, this was a great excuse just to reconnect with an old friend, a cherished friend. Uh, You were there for me in a, it was a rocky time of life for all of us. We were all just doing our best to get through. And uh, I'm so appreciative for that network of friends. And you were certainly central to that. You were kind of the ringleader of that FCA crew. And uh, can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate it, Toby. It was good to see you. I'm excited about the podcast. I've been listening to it on my walks with my dog and, uh, It's going really well. It's very exciting. Awesome. I appreciate that. While our college career likely didn't go as she'd expected, that isn't to say it didn't serve its purpose in setting her down life's path and forming her for her purpose. While Brandon's steady demeanor and diligent work ethic helped her avoid coming apart in those most trying times, that same spirit is now propelling her toward big dreams that lie ahead as she remains undone.
Coming Undone is a Nitro Hype creative production written and produced by me, Toby Brooks. If you or someone you know has a story of resilience and victory to share for Becoming Undone, please contact me at undonepodcast.com. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Becoming Undone Pod, and follow me at the Toby J. Brooks. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, everybody, keep getting better.